Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, we're back, and we're going right to the phones. Joining us from Tightline Outdoors is Matt Ensley. And, Matt, I heard, not that we don't like having you on, because we really like you having you better than Nate. And the fact that he called and said he couldn't get on, we're happy about. But I heard Nate's making some excuse that he just dropped a deer or something. Boy, you're you're right on. That's exactly what just happened. He's in the middle of play to get right down quite a bit. But no, that's a, we love Nate, and he'll get back on someday. But you're such a great wealth of information. I'll bet, though, that you want to talk, not hunting, but update us. We've still got fresh wa- open water fishing going on, and we're getting close to ice. So what, what do you got to talk about? Well, uh, most of our lakes in the mountains have begun to freeze, up, uh, with the exception of the larger bodies of water. Uh, I'm sure there's ice just about everywhere in the mountain lakes. Here in the Front Range, we still have open water. But our lakes will close to boating the end of this month, and uh, you'll be able to fish from the bank if there's still open water. But they'll start freezing sometime in uh, late December, typically right after Christmas. You'll have uh, decent ice. Uh, so you got some opportunity to get out there and toss some of the jigging patterns. And mainly blade baits right now is producing uh, some fish at Cherry Creek and, uh, and Aurora Reservoir. But uh, all the jigging techniques, blade baits, jigging ramps, all are still working right now. Well, you know, if, if people aren't, we talk about these baits year-round, in fact, now, where we used to just talk about, about them in the fall and maybe ice fishing, but they become a year-round when fish are when bait fish are bunched up or when fish are gathered on structure. Um, they're a reaction-type strike, typically, but they're an efficient way to fish. And people who aren't using these techniques, especially this time of the year in the cold water period, are really missing out, aren't they, Matt? They, they certainly are, particularly uh, lakes that have shad populations for the forage base. Shad will stress in this colder uh, water as it's dropping anywhere from 1 to 3 degrees a week, uh, low, temp, low 40s, dropping into the 30s in the next two weeks. So as those uh, shad populations stress and begin to flutter down, the jigging technique is an excellent uh, representation of the dying shad. So it they trigger on that, and they, they you'll catch a lot of fish this time of year on blade baits primarily. Well, you know, I wrote, um, I helped write in Fisherman's Critical Concepts on Walleye Fishing, and I wrote the, um, the chapters on jigging spoons, which is also a presentation you use in this. And I was a huge jigging spoon advocate and in and out of prominence. If you went back to the 60s, blade baits were big. They faded out, came back maybe in the 80s, faded out, came back in the 90s and have stayed. But a lot of anglers have a tough time with spoons and with blade baits because they look like a hunk of metal. And and now the jigging wraps have come on, and at least they look like a fish to most people. But those hunks of metal really do get reaction strikes. It's just, it's the fish, they go by the fish, you, you rip them by, and they just don't have time to look it over. They either have to eat it or not, right? That's correct. Uh, particularly with blade baits, you can troll them behind your boat, slow troll them, and you rip it, let it drop back, pull it, let it fall back. That technique works quite well to cover water and find those schools of, of shad and populations of uh, game fish that are feeding on them. Uh, the jigging wrap is more of a vertical presentation, although you can also cast it. 
but it gets down very quickly, and it's definitely a speed trigger. They either hit it or let it go. They have to make a decision quickly, and more times than not, they'll hit the bait. And spoons, uh, you know, spoons have been around. They are the original uh, jigging lure, and uh, we still use a lot of spoons at Pueblo these days, uh, mainly because of the type lake it is, canyon-type uh, reservoir with lots of rock, and the spoon tends to not get hung up as uh, frequently as a jigging ramp or a blade bait. Well, you know, and that's a great comment because, you know, the the popular jigging presentation right now, bar none, is the jigging wrap or the Johnny Darter or whatever brand you want to use of those. Uh, and they were originally an ice fishing lure that a few tournament guys were scoring big on them and trying to keep their mouths shut. But as always, word gets out. And over the last decade, I think it's probably the the hottest new, if you can call it new over a decade, presentation that people have really gone to, especially in cold water, but even even year-round. But uh, the spoons still work. You know, Don't take and dump that old stuff out of your tackle box. In fact, a lot of times, so many... One presentation gets almost over-presented, especially on lakes like Colorado where we don't have a lot of water, and the fish get a little conditioned, and going back to that older presentation can be just like starting new again. Right, and your spoons are typically heavier presentations that get down quickly uh, to trigger that strike, and use your electronics. I mean, this time of year is an excellent time to be marking these schools of bait fish and game fish below them. You can see them on the electronics. And as soon as you do, a spoon, you know, half ounce, one ounce, three-quarter ounce spoon, you drop it straight on their head. Uh, as you mentioned, they either have to hit it or let it go. And most times they'll hit it because you're dropping it inside that strike zone of the fish, which will range from three feet to 20 feet, depending on its um, uh, aggressive or, or neutral um, mood. Now, have you seen any particular bodies of water that seem to be better than any right now? What are you hearing or seeing? Probably Pueblo. I mean, if you want to drive a couple hours to go down there, it it hold, the water temperature there holds up later in the season. It also doesn't close at the end of this month the way the rest of our lakes are going to shut down for the year. So you can still go down to Pueblo, and it is definitely a jigging pattern for the for the walleye right now and some some bass. If you want to go for bass, you want to fish the bluff walls, bluff points on those walls, and uh, throw uh, plastics or different uh, baits right up on the bluff wall and let it fall. You know, speaking of the the jigging bite to a Pueblo, I find you catch a lot of catfish and some wipers there, too, when you're doing that. You catch everything in that lake, jigging those jigging rats, because they're fine. Shad school is the same ones you're marking. As you're jigging, they're right below. You'll see the the, the catfish uh, on the bottom, walleye on the bottom, and then just above that, you'll see your wipers, crappie. Everything in the lake is uh, feeding on those shad schools right now. And I'll tell you, I love to go down there and chase the walleyes and wipers, but there's some big catfish in that lake, and you'll hook into some. I think uh, Charlie Black caught the state record blue catfish down there. Was this time of the year, or maybe even later, on a jigging wrap doing going after the walleyes, and I've caught some big catfish down there, and like you said, the crappies and some of those other fish. Let's switch gears again. Now, we, we know there's going to be some great open water fishing until these lakes freeze up. We're starting to see ice on some of the mountain lakes, and there's a phenomenon that happens that, you know, you get about a two-week period usually on these mountain lakes where the fish aren't harassed because they start icing up, but it's not thick enough ice for recommended safe fishing anyway. 
and so the fish aren't getting fished over. They kind of settle in. Usually don't move a lot from where they were, you know, just before the lake froze, but they get a little more aggressive. There's still a lot of oxygen. Where are some of the lakes that either have frozen or you think are going to be fishable pretty soon where people could take advantage of those aggressive fish? Uh, the number one lake I would recommend is probably Antero. Um, we had some open water trips late in that season up there, and uh, I just couldn't believe the, the number of trout we were catching on uh, Tasmanian devils, uh, mainly trolling them. I mean, we couldn't get more than two rods out because both would go down before we could get the third one in the water. So it is excellent trout fishery right now, and we'll, that will just continue into the ice season as we move forward. And first ice, if you can venture out, if it's safe enough, be careful. Make sure you've got ice picks and all the right gear uh, is probably the best ice uh, part of the ice season is first ice right when you can get out there because they haven't been harassed. It's been a, you know, a week or two before people get out on top of them and you walk out there and it's just like uh, fishing in a barrel. Now, last year we had kind of a weird ice fishing season. We had warm and cold and thaw and melt, and it was very difficult. We're off to a much better start for traditional kind of weather. We still get some warm days, but the nights are cold. The mountains are staying cold. We've got some precipitation, which drops the water temperatures. Have you heard of any lakes that are fishable or that you think will be maybe by next weekend? Uh, I I don't have any current ice condition updates for you, uh, Terry. I'm sorry. I wish I did. Uh, but... Uh, you know, I would just check them all, uh, stay in tune with them. The smaller the body of the water, the quicker that will freeze over and be safe ice. So that's my best advice is just choose a small body of water to start with until well, ice season gets going good. Well, a lot of things. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say the other thing. If there is open water, take your electronics out there. Mark your spots where you're marking the bait fish or the game fish. Because those fish, as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, they will be there once the ice forms in those same spots. They're not going to move. And you can then go out on that ice using those GPS coordinates and walk right to your hot spots and catch those fish. That's a great point. We're going to have some 50 and 60 degree days yet before Thanksgiving. If you can get out on the lakes you like to ice fish and mark those fish, just like you said, it's just a tremendous benefit. I've got some videos on my uh, YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wicks from Outdoors, where we actually show you that, where we take coordinates out, find a... Uh, we were at uh, Dowdy, which I went out in a boat, found a rock. There's a flat where you can always catch fish, but some spots are better than others. And I found this one boulder out there, an open water, went out and marked that boulder, went back in the winter found that boulder, set up, drilled a hole, never moved, didn't have to drill another hole, and just got fish after fish after fish. And we kind of show you that on our electronics on uh, on my YouTube channel. But it is it's uh, it is an incredible benefit. So, and I'll, switching back to open water real quickly, uh, Aurora, typically, how long do you think you'll have open water there that you can still, because the trout are going to be very active there from shore. Yeah, it will be one of the last two freeze over and cap just simply because of the size, the depth of the lake, not necessarily the geographic size, but it's over 100 foot deep, so it will take longer to freeze. Cherry Creek will be your first cap here in the metro area as far as the known lakes, Chatfield right behind it uh, within, you know, 10 days to a couple of weeks. And of course, it doesn't just cap completely across all at one, one time unless we have a real bitter 
uh, front come through. It will cap in the shallows first, and that shallow water is uh, colder than the deeper water, and then eventually migrate across the whole lake. Well, before I let um, you go, Matt, um, you guys have some uh, events coming up. Is that on websites or Facebook pages for yes, people? Right. So go to our website if you want to check out the Ice Addiction Series coming up, uh, and uh, that's tightlineoutdoors.com. Uh, you can also go to our Facebook page, Tightline Outdoors, or you can just give us a call at 720-775-7770. We have anywhere from 800, uh, you know, 800 is about our maximum capacity, give or take 50 or 60 people, just simply because parking restrictions on the bodies of water. And you're still booking trips? Yes. Well, open water trips are available. I have one coming up uh, after Thanksgiving at Aurora. So I'll have a little better update for you then. But uh, we're doing Cherry Creek and uh, Chatfield, Aurora, and also Pueblo. So. All right, my friend, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Terry. All right, that's uh, Matt Ensley from Tightline Outdoors. Always a great source of information. I'll tell you what, he, we talked about, um, we're going to get some updates from Lake John, I believe, coming up in the next segment. But I want to mention, he mentioned, you know, using electronics. If you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, uh, we did a number of ice fishing shows over the years, and we did them all over North America. But a good half of the ice fishing shows that are on my YouTube channel were filmed right around here. There's one on North Michigan that shows you how to test for safe ice with a spud bar and how you check the ice and what you do. And then we do some fishing and show you the fish on the electronics. There's one at Doughty Reservoir where we show you how to use a GPS to locate points you've you fished before and then set up with your electronics and catch catch those fish. We've got Lake John where we show you some different techniques like how to use a Swedish pimple or a, a jig to call in a fish and play that as you're watching the mood of that fish on your depth finder. So there's a lot of that information on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And uh, my... Uh, article in the Denver Post last week was based on an interview with Mr. Ice Fishing, Dave Gens, and we talked about some of the advances and techniques and some of the things that are new in clothing. And we also uh, we, we also talked about ice safety, so I put some ice safety guidelines in that article, and you can find that on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We're going to take a time out. We come back, we'll have more outdoors on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going to go right to the phones. And joining us from the North Park area, Lake John Resort, is Nicole M. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning, Terry. Excuse me. How are you doing today? On our, uh, is what it, You've had a busy fall with hunting and fishing was phenomenal. And I don't know where we're at on ice fishing yet. We'll talk to you in a minute because the weather's been on and off, but uh, uh, tell us about what happened during hunting season. You had a pretty successful season, it sounds like. We did, and uh, <clears throat> you'd mentioned that late fall fishing, too. Right up until Monday, we had open water, and it's just been phenomenal. People are seeing really good 18 to 20 inches out, uh, you know, right up till Monday when we got that ice. But um, hunting 
first, second, third, and this fourth rifle has just been unbelievable. Um, Independence Mountain has been great. You know, a lot of people were in fear that that Ryan fire this season was going to affect that again, but it did not. It has been very successful. Well, people need to keep that in the back of their mind going to next year because you have cabins and you have RV hookup sites that a lot of those hunters take advantage of, and not to mention the great waterfall you have in the first season up there, too. So it's a great place to go year-round, but I think we're getting a pent-up demand for ice fishing this year. Last year we had... Really, I, I'm not. I can't remember exactly how it went at Lake John, but a lot of the lakes it got cold, it got warm, it got cold, it got warm. It was on again, off again. People weren't sure. The weather, the ice did not not only not cooperate, but some of the fishing was kind of messed up by that too. But it looks like we're headed into more of a traditional ice fishing season this year and the lakes like Lake John and North Park that have been fishing hot going in they're going to get a rest for a couple weeks while the ice gets thick enough but those fish are going to be ready to go when people can get on the ice so let's talk what are the current conditions up there now this is very true, Terry. We're excited this year. We're going to uh, have a much better ice season, I believe. Um, we didn't get ice until December 6th last year, which, which was brutal for a lot of ice fishermen that are ready to go. This year, we iced up on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, and uh, this morning we measured Lake John at two and a half inches. We also went past the Delaney's this morning, and North Delaney was measuring at three and a half inches. Um, the ice is looking good. It's clear. It's building solid. We're not seeing a lot of those pressure uh, ridges that we seen last year. So um, it's good. Now, that being said, we're supposed to see a little snow today. I'm hoping it's very minimal because once we get snow on there, it kind of starts creating a insulation blanket and the growth of ice slows down. So we're hoping we're not going to see a whole lot today. That way, this ice can just keep growing. It's growing about a half an inch a day right now. Well, well, you know, typically one of my gauges when I like to start my first ice fishing trip is the weekend after Thanksgiving. And this year, Thanksgiving is the very earliest it can be. And to hear that there's a good chance we'll have some fishable ice up in your area by then is really, really encouraging. How was, now you said Lake John was fishing phenomenal up till the freeze up. What about some of the other North Park lakes? Were they fishing pretty well also? They have been. You know, I didn't get a whole lot of information on Cowdery this past uh, year or even this fall because it was really weedy and mossy. So it just didn't get fished as heavily, which I mean, could be a sneaky surprise for the ice fishing tournament in January. That could produce pretty nice fish. Um, But the Delaney's have been really strong. Uh, You know, we had some people out right before it froze and they were catching beautiful browns out of there. And uh, Big Creek is up our way too. And, and, uh, we had several people, even from shore at Big Creek, which is surprising. Usually boat fishermen do better up at Big Creek, but the shore fishermen were catching nice lake trout. Well, you're right. And there's lake trout, and I believe the, there's even some brook trout and some muskies in Big Creek. And so it, it's, yep. it's quite a variety of fishing up there. Now, you said Lake John was fishing. Was there any... Any early ice presentations last year that were really the standouts that maybe people want to keep in mind as they head up this year? Um, 
You know, this this past fall, the rainbow pattern was doing really good. Um, but you know what? As soon as ice hits, those fish turn to mealworms and waxworms so quickly. Um, so those those are always very popular. We did just get a fresh load of mealworms in yesterday. We'll have waxworms in Monday because I know we're going to have some thin ice people that are ready to get on there and uh, we'll be fishing those. And I'll have better updates for sure as far as what the fish are liking. I will tell you too, the beginning of last year for ice, uh, glow in the dark was doing really good lures or jigs. All right. Now you, you, you're, you're going to keep posting updates on what's going on with the ice and the fishing there, but why don't you tell people when they do come up, because a lot of people worry about what they can get, what they need to bring with them. Some of the things you do have in the store, cause you're, you're so far from the lake that, I mean, they might have to stop fishing for 10 minutes to come in there, but what kind of stuff do you carry? That's true. Um, we have full line of bait and tackle. We're actually expanding our ice our ice fishing section this year, so we're probably going to have about double what we had last year. We have all the jigs and lures and um, ice hold, you know, ice rod holders and and augers and stuff like that. And then we have general groceries there too. If you're needing a snack, hot chocolate, coffee to warm up a little. You know, we have some winter gear to keep you warm in case the wind came in and you weren't expecting it. You know, in North Park. <laughs> oh, it never blows the wind in North Park, does it? No, never. <laughs> I've heard of a rare occasion, but um, but you know, in all on in all honesty, you know, having those accessories right there, what that does too is that, and I say this to fly fishermen all the time. I give them recommendations about what they should have in their fly box, and I tell ice fishermen, you know, here's some lures that I traditionally always have, but if you go to the store that's on the lake you're fishing. You tend to carry a lot of the stuff that's working, and then you get advice at the same time. Exactly, and we're always more than you know willing to share what we know people are doing well on, what they're not doing well on. We like to point out areas to avoid if the sun started hitting and it's getting soft, you know, kind of steer clear of this. And we're, we live out there, so we see this lake every day, day in, day out. We just know know if it's getting soft spots in certain places. And um, also this year, Terry, I wanted to mention that we're probably going to start offering to drill holes for people if they you know don't have an auger with them we're gonna offer that that uh option and we're also looking into doing some ice hut rentals this year so we're gonna try and help people out a little bit more that'll be awesome and you have some places to stay too you have some cabins and rv sites is that right Absolutely. We sure do. Um, the cabins are kitchenette units. You can cook in them and they're nice and cozy. We can hold, you know, little people one to two or six, seven groups of 10 even. So, you know, if, if you would go out and drill the hole for me, I could cast from that cabin and fish because <laughs> I've stayed in those cabins and it's it's so close to the water. It's criminal. It's just so convenient and so great. Hey, um, Tell people how they get a hold of you if they want information and how where they can get your reports. Absolutely. Um, so I'll do. I'll start our winter weekly uh, fishing reports. I'll post it on Facebook at Lake John Resort, and also that links to our webpage, LakeJohnResort.com. And uh, you're always more than welcome to call us on the phone at nine seven zero seven two three. 3226 and we'll answer and answer any questions we absolutely can for you. All right, Nicole, thanks. I'm sure you'll have people ringing the there's a pent-up demand this year because of last year and there will be people on that ice before the end of this week, I'm sure.
I think so. Thank you, Terry. Thanks, Nicole. Always great. Nicole M. from Lake John Resort. We'll take a quick time out, and Jr. from uh, Colorado Clays. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to put up with him after this timeout on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And joining us, one of my favorite people from Colorado Clays, J.R. Pierce. You didn't hear what I said earlier, right? Terry, you need to behave. I did hear that. And See, Karen puts you on hold too quickly. She kept talking to you. You wouldn't have heard that. That's true. I, Terry, I've got, I've got a couple waypoints that are still producing big fish, and I'm only going to share those with people that are nice to me. Well, it hasn't worked so far, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Think about it. Hey, my friend. First of all, I understand that this inclement weather has kind of made things tough out there. It, it has, Terry, and sometimes Mother Nature dictates what happens. Like any responsible business, Terry, our first responsibility is to the safety of our customers, our staff, and, of course, our equipment. So uh, every now and again we have to do uh, what's right and pull the plug on it, and we did that today, but we welcome everybody back tomorrow. All right. And, you know, and speaking of that, the fact you guys are a year-round facility, you're open year-round, but, but there's always going to be the chance that there could be inclement weather, not only for the equipment to hold up, but also people getting back and forth. You have to think about that. But they can always just call your your phone number and you immediately let people know the conditions out there. But, you know, if they do decide, excuse me, to come out tomorrow, tell them what they'll find. Well, Terry, uh, as always, Colorado Clays uh, being Colorado's premier public shooting facility, you are going to find the finest opportunities for rifle, pistol, and shotgun um, shooting. Uh, Everything from our eight traps, one of which is a dedicated training trap, a couple of skeet fields with wobble trap overlays, which we have, you know, talked extensively about what a great upland bird preparation that is. And then our beautiful 15-station sporting clays course set in a mature Cottonwood Creek bottom. It's, uh, it's the top-of-the-line shooting facility. And like you said, Terry, it's available to everyone and on a year-round basis. No, you're absolutely right. You know, not only do you get, and you, this time of the year, do you get a lot of Christmas parties out there? That's kind of a unique thing. It is, Terry, and you know, this is one of my favorite times of year for many reasons. Uh, I'm starting to hear back from our um, rifle hunters that we help side in and see in some pictures. We're helping the bird hunters get ready. But another thing, too, is just so many folks have uh, people coming into town, you know, families, friends, different types of um, you know, group events and uh, giving us a call out here. We can accommodate anybody. So experienced shooters, uh, bring, bring the out-of-town family or friends in and you know, enjoy. Come out in the morning, uh, do some shooting. Uh, even on these weekends, we have a hot dog cart here. Have something to eat, go home, watch some, some games on TV. Great, great opportunity. And, you know, one other thing that's really popular, Terry, is the uh, people who are not sure they're quite experienced enough or may not have guns because they're from out of town, um, one thing we would do with a simple phone call or email, we can get you a date and maybe spend time with one of our instructors, um, teach some new people and friends uh, you know, about shooting and, and enjoy it that way in a you know, very safe, controlled, and uh, maybe learn a little bit, little bit while you're at it. So 
Uh, lots of different opportunities that Colorado plays with a simple phone call. One quick thing I want to mention, too. You mentioned you're hearing from the people who sighted their rifle in. Something I see happen every year, we talk about it prior to hunting season, people getting ready. But also, people are out in the field, and all of a sudden they have different clothing on. Uh, they don't really like the way their scope comes up to their eye. Then There's something with the action in their gun they wish was improved. But you know what? They get done with hunting season, and they put it away immediately, and then they take it out a couple weeks before to get ready, and they don't have time to make those adjustments. When you're done hunting is one of the best times to go shoot that rifle again and make notes about what you didn't like and liked about it so you have time to change it. And and you're and you're totally right, Terry. Uh, it also helps. You know, that's a good time to clean your gun, to get everything ready, put it away, uh, make sure it's oiled up, so you don't have any rusting or pitting on the outside or on your riflings. Uh, lots of things um, that you end up being in a rush to do the following year and don't get done. And of course, Colorado Clays is the perfect place to do that. You can get your your toolkit, you know, that you're going to take with you. You can set the relief on the scope. Practice in those hunting clothes. Practice from different positions. Uh, the list goes on and on. And you know, for the for the mere twenty dollars an hour you, that it costs to shoot in our range, it's really priceless. So. Yeah, good point. Last thing, Jr. We're trying to keep people from having to fight the malls on Black Friday. Well, you got any Christmas gift ideas from out there? Absolutely, Terry. The list is actually pretty long. Um, come to the clubhouse, walk through. We have everything from Colorado clays, stickers, hat pins, um, beanies and hats, shirts, you know, blazers, just everything you can imagine for the for the Colorado clays enthusiasts. Um, good quality stuff. Also, Terry, the gift card. Uh, this is probably our number one gift. So whether it is the person that shoots at Colorado Clays that would love to have that card or maybe somebody getting a new gun, and this one, this one is really neat about us. Um, when you get it, you know, somebody is getting a new gun and you want the perfect gift to complement that purchase, um, you can actually call and find out what you want for them, whether it's instructor time, range time, ammo, and make your gift card for just the amount to do exactly what you want to do for that person. So it's really the perfect um, gift for any shooting enthusiast. Well, Jr., I really do enjoy talking to you, and hopefully we'll get on the water soon. You need to get home safe. Tell people how they find you. ColoradoClays.com or give us a call, 303 303- Six five nine seven one one seven. Go home, behave, and be ready for work tomorrow. Thank you, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. J.R. Pierce from uh, Colorado Clays. They closed today because of this freezing rain. It, it's really hard on the equipment and things like that, but they're open almost every day all year long except Tuesdays. We'll take a time out. We're going to be joined by Chad Lachance, and he's going to share an incredible bear hunt with us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And we are going to go right to the phones. And joining us, uh, Chad Lachance. You know him as a uh, frequent contributor to this program and fill-in host. Uh, You know him from Fishful Thinker Television, which has been on Altitude and, I believe, the World Fishing Network for many years. You know him from his guide service, Fishful Thinker Guide Service. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? You know, I'm doing well. And... 
I, you know, you, uh, probably your reputation as a fisherman is national and well-known, but you've always been an avid big game hunter. In fact, you've hunted a number of the species of big game right here in Colorado, haven't you? Yeah, for sure. You know, fishing is kind of what I started to do as a living, and I always thought that I was going to keep the hunting to myself. But as time's gone on, I figured out that most of uh, most of our fishing folks out there also at least dabble in hunting to some degree and vice versa. So it's just kind of a natural fit for me to start opening up a little bit more about it. But, yeah, I mean, deer and elk and antelope and all the small game species and, and you know, uh, Florida and Kansas and, and Nebraska, other places that I've traveled to hunt. So it's absolutely nothing new to me. I probably have as much hunting experience as I have fishing experience. We just don't talk as much about it. No, you're absolutely right. But now you just recently completed a hunt that you never even really aspired to do. It wasn't even on your radar and wasn't, you know, where, well, it would be a bucket list hunt for most people. It wasn't even in your bucket list yet because you'd never even thought about it, but it turned out to be an incredible experience. Tell people, uh, you know, first how this came about and what the hunt was. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, aspiring to a, a bucket list hunt like this would be like saying I aspire to own a Lamborghini someday. It's just so far out of the realm of reality that you don't even think about it. But what happened was I got to travel to Kodiak Island for 10 days and hunt for literally the world's largest brown bears. And the way that that happened, uh, again, it wasn't like you mentioned something I aspired to. I won the trip through a pro membership sweepstakes. And people can Google that if they want information on it. It's, it's a basically a drawing every 10 days that they do. And, uh, and I happen to be the lucky guy that won this trip of a lifetime. Uh, I won it basically a year ago, a full year ago, spent the whole year planning for it. And then, uh, and then traveled to Kodiak Island, uh, basically on the adventure of a lifetime to, to find the, the, the biggest bear I could possibly find and, uh, worked uh, directly with the biologists up there as well as the natives and, uh, and ended up harvesting a bear that was over a thousand pounds and pushing 20 years old. And just an incredible experience all the way around. I mean, it, it, just just to give you some level of idea, Terry, and I know you've been up there a bunch. It took five plane rides just to get where we were going. And uh, completely off-grid for the whole time you're up there. And uh, just an incredible experience all the way around. All right. Now, we're not going to be able to do this hunt justice in a 10-minute interview. But kind of take people through the process quickly of getting up there and then getting to the hunt and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that surprised you or that were different than you thought they'd be. Yeah, the, so the, the travel, basically, you get to Anchorage. Uh, from there, you can fly on a commercial jet over to Kodiak City, uh, which is the only city on Kodiak Island. And Kodiak Island is the second largest island in the country behind only uh, the big island of Hawaii, which I also know you're a fan of. And, uh, and so from Kodiak City, which is the oldest, largest fishing port in the country, been operating as a fishing town since 1792, which was pretty cool. Uh, we flew in float planes from there down to Larson Bay and actually hunted out of Larson Bay Lodge. So from there, we took a float plane up to the center of the island and were dropped off on another island. And then there you sit until you find your bear and finally the plane will come back and get you. And uh, and so the logistics of it are, are pretty substantial. Uh, the weather up there is, you know, it's Kodiak Island in early November. So it's, you know, obviously potential for crazy weather. So the amount of planning for gear and, of course, the rifle, you need to shoot a bear that's over a thousand pounds. A uh, lot, like I said, a lot of logistics, a lot of planning, a lot of practice. Now, as you were getting ready, let's start with that rifle. That's, you know. What kind of rifle did you use, and it did did it take some time to get used to the recoil to understand it? 
A lot, because I shoot small, fast bullets generally for deer and antelope and stuff like that, and and I I shoot browning X-bolts, and so when you're going to go for for a dangerous game, something like a brown bear that that will, in fact, eat you given the chance, uh, you need a big gun, and so I wanted a gun I was familiar with, so again, I went to a browning X-bolt, which incidentally is going to be given away also in that pro membership sweepstakes here in about two months, so I use it on one hunt. Then they're going to give it away. But I went with a Browning X bolt in a 375 H&H mag, uh, put a low power scope on it uh, or a relatively low power scope on it, and uh, and then put uh, a little over 70 rounds through it in practice after it was zeroed in, just getting comfortable shooting it off shooting sticks from a sitting position off various rests, not interesting it, just real world practice because. In the situation of a bear, which could be at very close range or several hundred yards away, you need to be able to shoot, and you need to be able to shoot a lot because they take lead well. And I was advised by the outfitter that I would need to plan on being able to shoot two or three times as fast as possible. So I put my time behind the gun. All right. right, let's. I want. We may come back to some of the other things as far as the gun, as far as uh, things like that. But take us through the actual uh, leading up to this bear, why you chose it, and then uh, what it was like harvesting it. Oh, man. So the bear, we, we actually spotted this bear uh, two and a half days before, and I, believe it or not, spooked it and was not able to get the shot I needed. And uh, and the bear vaporized, and, and you'd be surprised at how fast a bear of that size can disappear in the brush. But that thing was gone, and I was kind of bumming because you're looking for a really old bear. And I mean, that's the, that's the conservation aspect of it. The bear I ended up harvesting was past breeding age. And you could see that the claws were pure white. The bear was overweight. Uh, it was very obviously a very old and, and very mature, uh, very, very large bear. And I, when I spooked it, I was really bummed. I was told we'd probably never see it again. Uh, believe it or not, two and a half days later, we located the same bear and, uh, and I was able to harvest it. And, and I'll be honest with you, Terry, I've harvested a lot of game. Um, I think the only proper word is reverence. I, I spent some time just sitting there looking at the thing. You know, I cried, I laughed, we smiled, we all sat there looking at it. Uh, it's, it's incredible emotional experience to harvest a bear like that. I don't know that I'd ever go do it again, but I will always be grateful for the opportunity to go do that trip. And explain to people when you said the conservation aspect, this was actually a saw. When you first told me about it, I thought it was a, a, a big a big uh, male because I just couldn't believe there was a sow that big, but it was big. And because they're not breeding anymore, they tend to internalize that and put on weight. Tell people, you know, why it was such a good choice and and some of the measurements. Well, I took, I you know, I First of all, just when I shot it, I wasn't even sure it was a sow just because of the sheer size. Even the guide, the lifelong brown bear guide and native to the island, wasn't even sure that it was a sow. It was so much bigger than the rest of the bears we saw. But in hindsight, when you hunt on Kodiak Island, you have to go and you deal directly with the Alaskan DNR on that. They, they inspect the bear. They, they pull teeth to check it for age. They pull hair to check it for diet. They check DNA for lineage and the whole nine yards. So long story short, this bear was somewhere between 1050 and 1150 pounds. It was 10 feet long nose to tail and just under 10 feet on the wingspan with a 27 inch skull. So you're talking about an enormous bear and they figured it was 18 to 21 years old. The biologist who's been a biologist up there for 22 years on the island said that this bear uh, had been two years without breeding and that they could live somewhere around five years past their, their breeding age. So it's 
it's basically they're just taking up the food chain at that point. And I'd like people to realize that the bears like this eat 90 pounds a day of salmon. And, uh, and so to spend five years on an island eating 90 pounds a day of salmon five months out of the year, they're literally just taking up resources without reproducing. And ultimately, they end up getting killed by boars because they won't breed. And so this was really an ideal bear to take from the conservation standpoint. And uh, we'll just an incredible, incredible run uh, at my house. Now, about two minutes left. Getting to this bear, and a lot of big game hunts we see on TV, people pass on animals till they get the right one. Was that the case here? Oh, yeah, for sure. We saw between 80 and 100 bears, and I saw lots and lots and lots of bears that we could have, that we didn't even bother trying to get close to or that I passed up at close range because they were too young. You don't, I don't want to shoot a bear in its prime. I want to shoot a bear that's, that's done everything it's going to do in life productively-wise. And, uh, and so, yeah, we passed up a lot of bears and, uh, and, but I'll tell you, my heart sank when we lost this bear the first day or the the first time we found her, I should say on the third day of the hunt. And then by the time we found her again, I was very, very happy to find her. Wasn't going to, wasn't going to blow it again. We got about a minute. Was there any scary moments? Oh man, we got charged by a sow with three cubs. She stopped at 18 yards. It's the only time in my life I've ever had to raise my rifle or a gun of any sort in self-defense. And I'm standing here with the guide. Guide says, if she steps one foot in that water, you start shooting and don't stop. And I'll tell you what, I nearly peed my waders. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, like I said, we're running out of time. You can't do justice to a hunt like this. But it's just the, the thrill of it and kind of reliving it vicariously just through this little bit. Are there going to be write-ups or places people can go on your Facebook page or something to, if they're more interested in hearing more details? Well, yeah, even better than that, Terry, at the ISE show this year, the International Sportsman's Expo, January 10th through 14th, I'll be doing presentations about basically planning for the hunt of a lifetime or the trip of a lifetime, and we'll be using this bear hunt as a case study. So we'll be talking about the ISE show. There'll be a full write-up in uh, in the April issue of Sportsman's News Magazine, as, and the actual video of the hunt will be on this Sportsman's News YouTube channel here when they get done producing it. So there's a lot of media that's coming out around it. And again, folks, doing the rifle that I carry, and it's in perfect condition, and I'll tell you for one thing, it shoots real good. <laughs> All right, Chad, well, I'll look forward to you know, we'll feature that on the radio and tell people as we get closer to ISE, too. And just a thrilling hunt, you know, having hunted bears myself, nothing of that size. I just understand what it does. If people, you can't explain the adrenaline rush and what it's like. And it's not necessarily, like you said, something you want to necessarily go do again. But the one time you do it, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I'm very, very lucky to have got to do it. And uh, I will never, ever forget it. I can promise you that. All right. All right, my friend. Uh, we'll talk soon, but it'll probably be about fishing. All right. Thanks a lot, Terry. You guys have a great day. All right. Chad Lachance with Fishful Thinker. By the way, you can find him at fishfulthinker.com and Fishful Thinker on Facebook. And, of course, him and Ronnie and Dan, there's always updates going on, lots of great information. A lot of great information here, too, every day, every day, every Saturday. I'm glad it's not every day. I wouldn't be make it in. Every Saturday from 9 to 11, although next week we do have a preempted show. We're only on from 9 to 10, but we're going to be joined by Brian Bro Brosdahl, one of the legends of ice fishing next week so that'll be a great thing coming up don't forget to follow us on facebook you'll know who's coming up you'll know you'll get to hear past things that's terry wickstrom outdoors on facebook you get my post articles there you get our videos there you get what's going on in this radio share and you get trivia answers that can win you some great prizes on this show on the following week. I want to thank Kyle for keeping us rolling. Thank Karen for limiting my mistakes as much as is possible, humanly possible. Thank and, you guys so and, much. And thank everybody for tuning in. 
We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on 104.3 The Fan. There she stood.